0: Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I'm glad Brother Russell asked me to come, and I'm glad he asked me, uh, didn't uninvite me as well. I, it's always a pleasure and a joy for us to come to Hebron Baptist Church and see old friends and get to fellowship a little bit, and for me to get to preach. That's always a, a joy for me nowadays, and and uh, so you may notice I, I came alone this morning. Let me explain that. My wife is not playing hooky, but we, we have some grandkids, and and two of them have birthdays this week, so she has gone to church with them this morning. And uh, then after church, she's going to cook all afternoon for their favorite meal and have everybody over. So Now, we only have 20 grandchildren, so this takes place pretty often. And uh, so anyway, I get to eat good this afternoon. I get something out of it since the bulletin says that it's Father's Day today. Did y'all notice that? You know, at my age, that's not very funny. That because I thought I missed something, or I had woken up on the wrong day or something. But anyway, I understand what happened now, and that's, that's good. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday, right? That's what she told me. So next Sunday's Easter, so be prepared, okay? Anyway, it's always a pleasure and a joy to be here on, uh, to, uh, on the Lord's Day, whether it's Father's Day or not, and uh, to be here with you. And uh, let me tell you how much I appreciate your pastor, not because he's here, but I appreciate him when he's not here, too, and uh, he's a joy to be around. We have a, at, at my office, every Monday, we have what we call a pastor's fellowship, and, and we have 14 or 15 pastors that come in, and we sit around a table. There's no program. We just kind of talk and share, and you ought to hear some of the preacher stories. It, it might open your eyes a little bit, and, and I know that you guys think that we, we are paid to be holy all the time. Well, I want to tell you, Monday mornings, we're anything but holy. And we got some stories, and they're, they're funny, and, and uh, some of them are not so funny, but your pastor always has good things to say about you, and you ought to be, you ought to be proud of that. And so uh, I appreciate Brother Russell, appreciate him letting me preach this morning, and I'm going to invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. Now, that's in the Old Testament, and it may be a little difficult to find, it's right in between two other books just like it, <laughs> Habakkuk and Haggai, and so if you can find one of those two, you'll find this little book called Zephaniah right there in the middle between them. Now, we'll we'll get there in just a minute, just keep your Bibles there, and uh, one of the strange things that, and I'm in a different church every Sunday, and uh, uh, now that the, uh, most of our churches, in fact, all of our churches have opened back up after they were closed down for a while. And one of the, one of the uh, strange things is that to, is to, nobody's taking offerings up anymore. And uh, that, that's different for an old, for an old Baptist preacher because I thought to be a Baptist you had to have an offering somewhere, you know. So it's a little bit different, but it always it reminds me of a story. And i probably told you this story before, so if you've heard it, just act like you've never heard it before, okay? But uh, I remember the story about the, uh, this, this pastor, and they always had their offering right where it's supposed to be, right there in the middle, before the sermon. And so one Sunday, he decided he'd just change things up, just to change things up. And so he announced earlier in the service that, now this morning, we're not going to take the offering up before I preach. We're going to take it up at the end of the service after I preach. And so he, he preached, and that particular Sunday morning, he he was a little long-winded he just kept going and going and preaching and and, and you know it, he, he was wearing them out and finally this little girl in the back sitting with her mother whispered in her mother's ear so everybody could hear he said, she said, uh, "Mom, if we give him the money now, will he stop?" <laughs> now now here, here's, the, here's the deal you're not taking an offering up at all. now what does that mean? okay so we'll see what happens but I I don't think we'll go that long. Zephaniah, if you found the book, I'll I'll talk about it in a minute. But let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word. Father, we're thankful for this morning. We thank You for the time of worship and the time of fellowship, the time of sharing prayer requests. And Father, now we simply uh, bow before You and and submit our hearts and our lives. And Father, we just ask that that You might speak to us this morning in a way that only You can. And Father, You might use... uh, Uh, the words that are spoken, but especially the words that are read from your book. And you might uh, convict us and challenge us and and inspire us all at the same time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Zephaniah, it's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's only three chapters long, and so I could probably preach all three chapters in the time we have left, but I won't do that. And uh, so Zephaniah, we're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, most of the time this morning. And let me give you just a, a bit of background on Zephaniah. Zephaniah was one of the prophets of that day, and uh, again, a minor prophet, but, but his message was anything but minor. It was a major message. And, and he, he prophesied in, in, in the period of history when a man named Josiah was the king of Judah. Now, Josiah is one of my favorite kings. Uh, one reason is he was only eight years old when he became king of Israel, king of Judah. Eight years old, can you imagine? And, and so, and the way he became king was his father Ammon was the king before him, and, and he was a wicked, evil, godless king, and he led uh, Judah away from the Lord further and further and further. In fact, uh, Ammon's father and, and Josiah's grandfather was named Manasseh. He also was a wicked, godless, evil king, led the people away from, from the Lord and to worship idols. But later in his, his uh, administration, his life, Manasseh came back to the Lord. He repented, but it was a little bit late for the nation. And then his son Ammon was worse than him and led the people further and further away from the Lord. And he, he set up altars to worship idols and false gods and, and just completely the nation abandoned the true and living God And then this young man named Josiah, at 8 years old, becomes king. The reason he became king at the age of 8 is this. His father, Ammon, was so wicked, so evil, and so disliked that his own servants and people in his administration, in the palace, in in his court, they conspired and they had him assassinated. And that's how Josiah became king at eight years old. But the Bible tells us that Josiah had a heart for the Lord, and he began to lead the people of Israel back to God. And he, he did a, a lot of things, but one of the major things that happened was this man named Zeph- Zephaniah, this prophet, God used him during that time of Josiah's reign to bring God's people back to himself. But it was a, a horrible time when Josiah was prophesying, when the Lord used him as a Horrible time in Israel's and Judah's history. And it was a time uh, where the message was difficult. The words that Zephaniah prophesied were difficult. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it says, and this is the Lord speaking through Zephaniah, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I'll consume man and beast, I'll consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks, uh, along with the wicked, I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. And so the message right off the bat is not a very positive message, is it? It's not one of those feel-good messages. It's a hard message. It's a a difficult message. And he talks about the Lord being a consuming God. And the consuming aspect here is is God's judgment is consuming. Now we know, don't we, that God is a consuming, all-consuming God, right? His love is consuming, isn't it? His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness is is consuming, but in, here in this Old Testament passage, it was a a, a message of the consuming judgment of Almighty God, uh, in a nation that had abandoned Him, and and the, the God's response was this this message of, of consuming judgment, not a message we like to hear, but it's a message that is. That is necessary. Sometimes it was in Israel's history, uh, history right back then. Uh, But back when I pastored at Dorchester, I had one of my deacons that every time I'd preach the Old Testament, uh, he after the service he would come up. He said, "Now, pastor, you realize we're a New Testament church, right?" I said, "I do. uh, I understand that." Kn would know the man, but I won't say his name. But I would say, "I, "I do understand that." But but brother, if if there if there wasn't an Old Testament, there would have never been a New Testament. And, and we don't discard the truths of the Old Testament just because it's not in the New Testament. And so there we are in Zephaniah the, dealing with the judgment of God. And so the message this morning is very simple, and it, it's very plain, and, and it's very clear from, from Almighty God. And it's this. I want to share with you three ways, only three. There are others, but there's three here. That we can guarantee God's impending judgment. Three ways that... We as a people, we as a culture, we as a a, a nation, um, that I myself as an individual or or a church can incur God's impending judgment. By the way, God's judgment is always impending. It's going to happen. Uh, And and God is, we're living in that time where we're seeing God's judgment and and it's going to intensify as the days goes on. We know that, God is going to ultimately judge this earth, don't we? I mean, if you've read the book, right, from Genesis to Revelation, we we know that it's impending, but but there's hope, even in the midst of judgment. And that's the message this morning. But three ways that we as a people can incur God's judgment. Number one is found in verse 4. And it says, the Lord says, I'll stretch out my hand against Judah. Now, stretch out my hand means the hand of judgment a heavy hand, a consuming hand, and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this is directed to God's people. Sometimes when when you and I think of God's judgment, we we sometimes think, well, that's for the lost, godless, pagan world. But the Bible clearly states, even in the New Testament, that God's judgment begins with His own people. And so that's the case here. Verse 4, he says, I'll cut off every trace of Baal... From this place, the names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan priest, those who worship the host of heaven uh, on the house tops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also swear by Malcolm. Now, here's one way, the first way that you and I can incur God can guarantee God's judgment, and that is simply to worship idols. God despises idol worship because the, the the, one of the ten commandments tells us that he's a jealous god he'll have no other gods he'll put up with no other gods before him and so if we worship idols we're going to guarantee god's judgment you say you say well i'm safe there i don't, i don't I don't have any idols I don't worship idols i don't have a a statue set up in my home that I bow down and worship and, and you'll notice that in those in that verse four and five that some of those Idols are mentioned. They're named. Baal was a false god and a false system of worship. Malcom was a, a false system of worship, a false god, an idol. There were idols set up in, in, in high places. Altars were laid out before those idols and they were worshipped. They And they were named. We may not have our idols named today, but we have our idols, don't we? We have our idols. And and, and in America, uh we we live in a in a in a culture of, of idols. They're not named, but they're there. It could be material things. It could be a, a lot of different things. It could be anything that we put before God, that we put in place of God. He said, "Well, that I understand that, but but in church we we don't worship idols in church. We only worship the Lord. And yet there are idols in church life." Sometimes in some churches, it's, it's a budget. It's, it's the finances. Or it's a building. One thing we've learned through the shutdown is the true church is not defined nor is it confined to a building. Right? Sometimes it's position, power, authority. But there are idols that are in churches. They may not be named, but they're there. Now, in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church and he talks about that in the church we have examples that we can follow godly people, godly men. And he said of himself, he said, You can follow my example. And there are others that you have us for a pattern to live your life by. And he didn't say they were perfect, but he said you can follow our example. Aren't you glad that that we have people around us that we can follow their example? Maybe they've gone before us. Maybe they're with us right now. But people, we can follow their example. But he also said in the church in that day that there were some you didn't want to follow their example. And he described them or named them as enemies of the cross. In Philippians 3, verse 19, he talks about them. He describes them. And and there's some descriptions of them that are appropriate to this judgment of Zephaniah about worshiping idols. And he says of them, he says, these enemies of the cross, that their God is their belly. And and when it says that, he's talking about their appetite, their their desires. Their, Their idol, their God, what they worship is the things they desire, the things that they long after. The things they want. Their God is their belly. Then he says also their glory is in their shame. And he says these enemies of the cross who worship their own desires, they are also proud of the things they ought to be ashamed of. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I mean the things we as a nation, as a culture, ought to be ashamed of that used to be spoken of in private are not spoken of at all they're paraded on Main Street now they're they're applauded and, and 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 they're we're proud of those things as a nation the things we ought to be ashamed of I mean it's 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 just turned upside down nowadays isn't it evil is called good and good is called evil up is down and down is up and nothing makes sense anymore because our glory is in our shame. He also says their mind is set on earthly things. And if one thing describes our culture today, even in church life, is our mind is set on earthly things, temporary things, things that really don't matter in the long run instead of the eternal things of the Lord. He also says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Those who worship idols, Those who He's described, their end is destruction. That's the consuming judgment of Almighty God. So we can worship idols. We'll guarantee God's judgment. Then there's something else He says in those verses, not only just worshiping only idols and replacing God, but trying to worship idols and the true and living God at the same time. That happens, doesn't it? We we want the Lord, but... But we, we, we have our idols at the same time. The Lord won't put up with that either. It guarantees His judgment. So worship idols and you guarantee God's judgment. Our nation will be guaranteed God's judgment if we're a nation of idol worshipers and we replace God with anything else. Now, number two is found in verse 6. He says, those who've turned back from following the Lord... And have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. So the second way to guarantee God's judgment is simply this. Just stop following the Lord. Just turn from following Him. Don't seek Him anymore. Don't don't inquire of Him. Don't pray. Don't ask of Him anymore. Just stop following the Lord. You say, well, I'm, I'm following the Lord, but here's the question. Are you following Him as close as you used to? A lot of people stop following the Lord. There there are times I find myself not following as closely as I used to. There are days that I I just, if if I'm honest, I just didn't follow Him that day. I I hope that doesn't destroy your faith in me at all, but it happens. But I don't think that anyone... Just wakes up one day and says, "You know what? Today's the day. I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. I'm done." And we we may think that sometimes, but I don't think we'd ever say it. And I, I don't. Th- I think it rarely happens. What well, I think what happens is this: that we we follow the Lord, but we begin to follow him at a distance. and and, and every day we follow a little further behind, and we lag a little further behind, and a little further behind until. We're just not following him at all. It happened to a, an apostle, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, when he walked this earth, and his name was Peter. And, and you will remember, right, right before the Lord was arrested, be, uh, betrayed and arrested, before the cross of Calvary, he gathered his disciples, the 11 that were left and, uh, around him, and he began to share with them things that were going to happen very quickly. And he said, there'll, there'll be a time when all of you will scatter, you'll leave me. And Peter kind of looked around and he said, "Yeah, you, Lord, you're right. These other guys probably will leave you, but not me. I'll I would die for you." And, and and the Bible says that Jesus looked at Peter and and he loved him, but he said, "Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And, and but you'll you'll come back and." and you'll encourage your brothers, but before this night's over, you will deny me three times. Remember that? And the Bible says that when the Lord was arrested in the garden and, and taken off by the soldiers, that Peter followed the Lord, and he, he followed just to keep an eye on things, see what was happening. But the Bible says he also followed at a distance. A little further back and a little further back until Ultimately, Peter found himself not following at all and he had sat at the campfire of the enemy. And then he denied that he ever knew the man named Jesus. So just stop following the Lord. Turn from following Him. Follow at a distance. Don't seek Him. Don't pray. Don't ask. And we guarantee the Lord's judgment. Now, there's some specific judgments that are listed as a result of idol worship and not following the Lord. I want to share those with you very quickly. Look at verse 9. It says, In, in the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Verse 10 says, There'll be, There shall be on that day, says the Lord, a, a sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing, from the second quarter, a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of, of Maktish, for all the merchant people are cut down, all those who handle money are cut off. Now, I don't know if you picked up the, the judgments that he guarantees for, the, for idol worship and not following the Lord, but it's simply this uh, uh, intense violence and crime. Intense violence and lawlessness and crime. But he also talks about great distress and sorrow wailing, mourning, uh, mis- misery, and we, we, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a time in my lifetime where there's more miserable people than there are now, just, just distressed and sorrowful, and, and just the, the violence and the crime, did you ever think you'd see it like it is? And we, you know, I used to say it can't get any worse, but it always does, or it seems to. But then he talks about something else, another judgment, complete economic collapse. He talks about the merchant people being cut down. He talks about, uh, about those things, and, 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 and those who handle money are, are cut off. The banking system, the economic system, a total economic collapse. One thing I've discovered in church life, as well as my personal life, if the Lord wants to get our attention His number one tool is just to mess with our pocketbook. I mean, that'll get our attention. Now, there may be some other things that happen that uh, we we might look at twice, but nowadays it doesn't bother us much anymore. kind of used to it. But I want to tell you what, mess with the economy. Mess with the pocketbook, and you'll get our attention, even in church life. You know, I... I don't know about you, but I, I, as an adult, I, at least I have kept up with presidential campaigns through the years, and we've all seen those things, heard those things. And, and we know for a long time now, the number one issue in the presidential campaign is what? It's the economy, stupid. Remember? The, the slogan of one of the presidential candidates at the time. he actually and he won twice. It's the economy. Forget everything else. Just talk about and focus on. And take care of the economy. It's still that way today. So worship idols. Stop following the Lord and you'll guarantee God's judgment. Number three. It's found in verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I'll search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men. And watch this. Who are settled in complacency. Who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. To me, this is one of the most tragic conditions that a culture can find itself in, or a person, or a church, or anyone. And it's simply this. To guarantee God's judgment, just be spiritually complacent. Just be spiritually complacent. You know what that means? That means I'm, I'm not hot, nor am I cold. I'm just somewhere in the middle called lukewarm. Jesus talked about that in the seven letters to the seven churches, didn't he? One of the churches' spiritual condition was lukewarmness. The Lord said, I wish you were hot or even, and I wish you were cold, but, but you're lukewarm. And he says, that sickens me. It sickens the Lord. And so one of the spiritual conditions that guarantees judgment is to be spiritually complacent. In fact, he said just to settle into complacency. I know about settling in. I know about settling, and it happens every time I settle into my recliner. And my wife knows what settling in in my recliner means. You know what it means? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, I'm, yeah, sleep. Somebody said sleep. I'll do that after a while. I'll eventually go to sleep in my recliner. Listen, when we settle into complacency spiritually, we do the same thing. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. We'll eventually just slumber off spiritually. Dull ears. Droopy eyes. And we'll just sleep. Settle into complacency. Sink to the bottom. But that's not the worst in verse 12. Verse 12 says along with settling into complacency comes this. Those who say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will He do evil. You know what spiritual complacency leads to? Not atheism. Atheism denies the existence of God. But it leads into practical atheism, which says there is a God, but He doesn't matter. There is a God, but He doesn't matter. He doesn't do good, nor does He do evil. He's there. He just doesn't matter. He's inactive. I tell you what, I've never seen a day, even among Christians and the church, where that isn't more prevalent than it is today. God exists, and we show up because He exists, but it doesn't matter. we wonder why things are the way they are. He exists, but He's inactive. God exists, but He is not a factor in my life. There's a judgment with that in verse 13 for that one condition. Therefore, they're goods. That means they're stuff. We've all got goods. We've got things. We've got stuff, right? Their goods shall become booty. You know what that means? For someone else to enjoy. There'll be a time we won't even enjoy our stuff anymore. I remember one of the few times I ever bought a brand new car. And man, I I tell you what, I I was excited. I, I was thrilled. And I enjoyed that new car for about two days. And it just wasn't what it used to be. One of the the judgments of spiritual complacency is we just don't enjoy anything anymore. There's no fulfillment. There's no satisfaction. And he goes on to say, and their houses, in verse 13, a desolation, they shall build houses but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine. We won't enjoy. We won't be satisfied. Nothing's ever enough. Nothing's ever good enough when a person is spiritually complacent. I could stop right here and we could leave this place a little bit depressed, right? Huh? I mean, it, we've talked about God's judgment. We've talked about what brings God's judgment. We've we talked about some, what some of the judgment might look like or looks like. And we could leave here saying, oh, my goodness. Why even bother? I, I, we just might as well give up. But the good news is there is good news in the midst of God's judgment. And I want you to see that. And if you'll, if you'll move to, to chapter 2, verse 1, and he says this to God's people, to the church, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. That means come together. Be, be of unity. Be of one mind, O oh, undesirable nation. And by the way, Israel was undesirable among the nations. I want to tell you something. Christianity today is undesirable in our nation. We are an undesirable portion of this nation. We are scorned and frowned and looked down upon and ridiculed. But he says this, Or the day passes like, uh, come together, gather together before the decree is issued, or the day passes like shaft before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. In other words, while there's still time, God's people need to come together and seek the Lord who have upheld his justice, who seek righteousness, seek humility. And watch this in the last part of verse 3, chapter 1. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That's in the midst of guaranteed impending judgment. That's in a time in Judah's history when they were promised the things we just read about for the reasons we discovered. And yet he says in the midst of God's judgment, it's coming, you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That's our only hope, by the way. In America today, that's our only hope. And and listen to me. It It is not a politician. Our hope does not lie in our government or any politician or party. It does not. Our only hope is to come back to the Lord as his people. Throw away our idols. Cast those aside. Change directions. Follow the Lord. Seek him. Pray and wake up rise up out of spiritual complacency. And the hope is this, that even in the midst of impending promised judgment, we'll be hidden from his anger. That's the promise. That's the hope. That he'll restore those who repent. He always has, hasn't he? I mean, all the way through Genesis to Revelation, He always leaves a remnant. He always restores those who seek Him. That promise is for today as well. We're going to pray. Brother Russell will be at the front. The guys will come up, and I think we have an invitation here. Maybe the Lord has dealt with your heart today, and maybe He's spoken to you. Maybe you need to make that a public thing. Maybe you, you just settle it right there where you are. But if the Lord's dealt with your heart, And you need to to seek him and come back to him and pray. You do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. And Father, even though it's a a word of judgment, we know that in the midst of judgment, you love us. You desire us to, to follow and come back after you. Father, that we may be hidden in the day of your judgment. Father, we know, we acknowledge, we deserve judgment. We deserve your judgment. We deserve But Father, we accept your grace and your mercy. and we, we rest in that. Our hope is in that. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as you've spoken, we'll be faithful to respond. Turn, cast aside, and, Father, rise up. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and you come?